Hello, everyone, and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode, we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host, Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. Last week, I attended the annual Professional Piercers Conference in Las Vegas. I had the chance to take some classes, learn some new techniques, pick up some jewelry, and talk to some good friends of mine. Over the next few episodes, we will be listening to some discussions I recorded with friends while at conference. In this episode, Tom Gottschalk, Andy Dunn, and I sat down after a long day of classes to enjoy a drink and talk. Tom is a longtime co-worker at Dorje Dormants in Rochester, New York, and is my honorary co-host for this episode. Our main guest was an exhibitor at this year's conference. His company, Sell Short Dormants, based in England, specializes in using unique materials and creating hanging designs. So sit down, relax, and enjoy a drink as Tom and I talk with Andy Dunn. company and all those wonderful things. I am Andy Dunn. I own and operate South Shore Dormants on the south coast of England. I've been making jewellery for nigh on nine years now and professionally just over four. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this show is jewellery makers in general use a lot of different materials. And one of the things that I really admire about you is you use a variety of materials that we usually don't see that much. So why don't you tell us like a few of the materials that you use that are like a little unique, any materials that you're very fond of working with, some ones that are not really easy to work with. Huge range of organic materials, majority wood, a lot of ivory is an absolute favorite of mine. As for dislikes, there are a few woods that I just refuse to turn anymore, things like zebrana, just crap like that that seems to fall apart. So is it just those materials just disintegrate as you're trying to make them or... They can do. Sometimes they're just natural defects in the material that just appear at the wrong time. You just get very tired of that very quickly. So are you going ahead and trying to make these plugs? And as you're turning them on your wheel and everything like that, they just have knots in them? Or are they just falling apart? Or Oh, yeah. There are some materials where all of a sudden defects and knots and knot holes will just randomly appear. That's got to be the worst thing ever. Oh, it's to, <laughs> to honestly just be like sitting there and I am almost done. And then all of a sudden just be like, I need to start over. Yeah. The worst one for that is boxwood. It's one of the, what well, it is the only native material that I use. Every now and again, you'll finish a piece and you'll get to polishing and you'll just pull out a small amount of grain. and Oh, look, there's a knot hole. But you just didn't see at any other stage until the very, very, very end. And that's, that's awful. It, it's crushing. <laughs> it's crushing sometimes. Because that's honestly got to be like something that's just absolutely atrocious. How much time does it take to actually sit down and make, let's just say, like an inch pair of plugs? An inch pair of plugs from beginning to end, an hour and a half on a good day. The thing I want to make sure that people know is that's not like an hour and a half of, oh, I'm going to put this down and come back to it. It's it's literally an hour and a half with those single pieces of wood Mm -hmm. and then get to the last part and it just falls to pieces. 
That's awful. <laughs> it, it can be a mix. I, I think that's really awesome that you use native materials in your work. Warthog, is it Tusk, is one of your favorite materials? Yeah, absolutely. Is there, like, just the way that the material works? Is it just how it looks? Is there any, like, pros or cons to using it? It's it's one of the hardest materials. That, like, it's an absolute challenge just in the, the original form of it to get from a, a slightly banana-shaped piece that contours in and bulbs out at the end as well to then turn that into a round product of a calibrated size. That in itself is a challenge. And then to add that with, and just the end result and the fine, 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 delicate detail in the, in the uh, pattern of the material. I have a question. When you are turning something that is a little bit harder, like warthog toss, mm-hmm. what kind of different materials or tools do you have to work with to be able to turn that? I work with the exact same tools that I would turn wood with. It just takes easily three times longer. Just a ton of time? Just a ton of time. And I will usually resharpen those tools two or three times in a job. As opposed to a pair of wooden plugs, I will sharpen them at the beginning and they will last me a couple of jobs. Really? Yeah. I had no idea that working with tusk or similar materials that are going to be that hard are going to be incredibly more time-consuming. Oh, definitely. It's, it's quite remarkable how much time. I mean, the first time I ever turned this material, I was thinking, is it even possible to turn it on the wood <laughs> Really? Yeah. I, I've noticed that that is one material that you specifically use more often than I see almost any other jewelry maker in our industry use. Is it just because it's so difficult that you think that you turn it, or do you just are so fond of it? It's one of the things that you just like to do. It's one of the things that I like to do, and it almost makes me sound like a hipster, but I like using it because it's so underused in this industry. Hey, man, it's fine. It's fine to be a hipster. Yeah, exactly. It's, they're Absolutely. a clientele, too. Is there a difference between warthog tusk and ivory? Uh, yeah, ivory is, is typically a much larger tusk, obviously, and warthog tusk is a much smaller tooth from being a different animal. Most of the ivory that is used in this industry is fossilized and older. It's a lot harder to work with. Typically, it's filled with far more voids and damaged legs, whereas with tusk, tends to be a lot more solid, a lot more reliable, easier to purchase normally as well. One of my absolute favorite stories about you is i think this is actually how i are sort of following you as a jewelry maker i remember seeing somewhere on it was either a website or the blog or an instagram post about how you're using material from was it like a sunken ship or like close okay so why don't you tell me about that because i am frothing in the jewelry nerdy like sense to hear all about it. Do we Sounds so cool? Do we can't do, wait to hear about this. Do we want to go right to the sort of flop that is how I discovered this material? I'm, you, it's, you it's, do you do the whole thing. It's the least rock and roll story there possibly is. <laughs> Perfect. There's a TV show back home in England called The One Show, and one of the hosts is called Alex Jones. And it's not the Alex Jones people in America will think she's a <laughs> lovely Welsh lady that I, I kind of fancy. And it's this most laid back, easy, unoffensive magazine TV show and they do these 15 minute segments of quite interesting and sometimes not interesting stories and one of them was about this mammoth ivory tusk it was being pulled up by dredging in the English Channel for fishing I had no idea it was there but it made sense because at one point it was a solid landmass that eventually fell in and water flowed through and obviously buried all of this material and it was being pulled up and sold and I thought oh I had no idea that was a thing. I knew mammoth ivory existed and was being used in jewelry. So I had a quick little search around for this, and I found dealers specifically just for this type of material, just pulled out from the English Channel. And I got myself something. 
I like how you're telling me that this is like an uninteresting story. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm getting is I'm getting Andy Dunn, basically Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> hunting down the ancient material from all of these dealer people in England. You are like, I was sitting on the couch watching TV. Us on this side are like, he was hunting it down. He was the, he was the Indiana Jones of jewelry making. Is basically it's basically so what you're trying cool. to tell me. What a highly specified dealer. How did you find... That specific dealer. Google. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) That's great. That's how we find all the things. Thanks to search engine optimization, there was someone else willing to take my money for it. That's awesome. So did you actually like go down, see various pieces? Like how do you buy that kind of stuff? Unfortunately not. The guy is based in Holland. Okay. For some bizarre reason, that's where he's based out of. And he's become somewhat of a reasonably close friend. I buy a lot of material from him now. Aside from Warthog Tusk. And uh, I'm on my Mammophiles retards. I sent him a quick email going, I'm really interested in trying this material out for carving. Have you got anything that you can send me? This is fine, no problem. In that industry, they sell what are called um, uh, the bark, like the outer layers of the tusk. It's normally thin, round pieces. It's not particularly that interesting. He sent me some of these for what was actually probably a lot of them. I got it, and it's this lovely, sweet, chocolatey brown colour, which is not something you usually see in ivory other than where it's just been discoloured by the mud and the uh, crap for thousands of years and I've got nice. So I started turning into it and carving it. By the time I polished it, it was just this beautiful, beautiful nice coloration in it. You could just faintly see the Schrager lines still within it. I thought, I've got to get more of this. I went back to him and at that point, because of the fallout of that TV show airing this thing, he had sold out. Oh yeah. Like this guy had gone from selling just a few pieces to absolute nerds to selling it to just anyone and everyone who saw this TV show going, oh I want some of that. So he said, well, look, I will email you as soon as I get anything. So that's brilliant. And it was about five months later, he emailed me. Well, I've got this small piece for you. And it was about maybe five inches long, maybe half inch thick. It was full of cracks and all sorts of shit. It's fine. That'll do me. I managed to get four sets of cabochons out of this and two sets of very small plugs. I think they're about 10 gauge plugs, not very big. And the best bit is they were for a local customer of mine as well. So it was really win-win for all of them. We ended up turning this set of ebony plugs and it just looks so nice. I think we used brass in the bezel in the settings as well. And it was just such this nice, classy-looking set. Just did it for me. That honestly just sounds so amazing to, especially, I don't know how to, how it is over in England, but I know Tom and I can vouch, despite everything that's going on, right? We're yeah. super proud of this. It's handmade, you know, all of those things. We're, we're really proud of that stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like, I don't know, I would be over the moon ecstatic to be like, hey, I have this fossilized ivory from the bottom of a channel that is in or from my country from like God knows how long ago. That is so cool. Yeah, I really feel like it's one of those things that's just absolutely mind-blowing. And I I feel it cracks me up because you can actually hear the passion in your voice to describing this material. And it's so weird because as as body piercers, we only see the finished product. There's been a few times, for example, I've bought a few pairs of special pieces from who you're sharing a booth with. And it's Jared and One Tribe. And he actually brought the piece. I bought um, some tormulated quartz pieces and he brought the raw chunk to me. So that I could check it out and see it before I actually bought it. Mm. You know, it's super rare to to have that happen. And it's just pretty incredible to hear how you describe it as opposed to what we actually see. Oh, yeah. Lots of passion there. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, too, is you make some really unique plugs and weights and things like that, too. I actually just picked up a pair of them, which I'm super duper excited about, that 
I feel like the plugs and weights themselves remind me of home. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the weights and the joy that you brought with you to conference this year? Oh, well, I bought predominantly all weights this year. I, the only plugs that I bought were just dropping off the pre-orders that people had placed in advance. Right. And the, the plugs, I actually own, I think, two pairs of them. He won't brag about it, but I'll brag about it for him. So he makes these ebony plugs that have this really unique texture on the outside, oh, right. which are amazing. They are some of the my like favorite plugs that I own, especially because the wood grain on them is incredible combined with the texture themselves. I'll add some pictures into the show notes so that you guys can take a take a look at them and just see what they look like. And I'll also link Andy's store to it so you can see all of the options that he has. But they're absolutely incredible. So tell me more about the weights that you brought. The weights vary quite surprisingly. There seems to be no real common theme in in my work with ear weights. I have pieces that are based on basalt column rock formations. Which are the ones that I bought. (laughs) Good man, good man. (laughs) I have pieces that are just cubes based upon cubes. I have pieces that are just, I mean, they've been described as sort of deep sea divers helmets. I mean, that wasn't the original inspiration, but that's what people seem to see of them with multiple stone inlays. I've got my old classic favorite spinning tops, which are based on old Dayak pieces, just a little bit more revamped for a little bit more comfort. I've bought my incredibly, incredibly popular and old favorite Talakia weights. Those are great. They they really are amazing pieces. So I'm just going to touch base on the diver, quote unquote, diver helmet weights that you have. Why don't you go ahead? I know that's really difficult, but why don't you kind of describe them to us for those that haven't seen them? They're a keyhole style weight. They're spherical in shape with a nice raised border around the outer edge. There are three stone settings. There are two 10 millimeter stones at the front and the back and eight mil stones just perched right on the top. The big thing that I want to express to the people that listen to us here is it's really important for you to take a moment to go ahead and take a peek at these because of the variation that they have in the stones. He can take the material and the settings themselves and really add some customization to the client by what stones that he puts in there. What were some of the color combinations and stone types that you brought with you to conference? I brought, I thought everyone's favorite, I thought would be maybe an amber set. I did an amber set, I did a non-X set, because everyone loves something that's black in color. But some of the more fun combinations I did were amethyst and Cross the phrase. And I saw those in person. Those are breathtaking, to be they honest with you. They were so nice. And I, again, I have to admit, I drew a lot of inspiration from another popular theme in body jewelry at the moment, which is gold body jewelry. Mm-hmm. Some of the stone combinations that some of you pierces pick out, I just, I wouldn't have ever thought about them. And I see these pieces, but that's a really nice channel for Okay, this is fair enough. I need to step out of my personal comfort zone with my personal tastes and go for things that I wouldn't wear that I don't normally like, but when I complete it, actually, you do look at them. Tom can go more into this in a second, but as a body piercer, one of the things that I find is if I had just purchased or tried to sell clients jewelry that I was fond of, I would never sell any of it. I like dark stones. I am a onyx and smoky quartz kind of person. Yeah, those look great, but... You know, not every client is going to want to wear those things. So that's the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, piercers wear piercer jewelry. And uh, I think that your clients are going to come at you with a lot of really creative stone combinations that you're just never going to see coming. That a lot of the awesome combinations that we see, that's not always 110% just the piercer. I feel like that's also the client. And we we may sit here and be like, oh, you know, I'm not really 100% sure on that. And then we see it and we're like, oh, damn it. They were definitely right on that one. They love, yeah. 
The other thing too that I noticed is you have some pieces that are extremely high polish and mm-hmm. also pieces um, that look like there's a little bit of age to them. Can you explain like how you end up with the result of them looking aged? Is it an easy way to make them look aged? Is it one of the things that you're fond of? Why don't you go ahead and describe a little bit of how that actually happens? Uh, well, I like to add a patina to a number of my designs just to give a little bit more dimension, a little bit more dramatic of an impact when you look at them. And it's a fairly simple process that just begins with making the pieces as smooth and as clean as possible to the point where I think even you guys would be impressed how clean some of these pieces Probably. begin to yeah, begin with. You know, we're putting them through ultrasonics, we're scrubbing them, we're basically apprentice pierces. Here, you know? <laughs> and it goes into a uh, multiple solution chemicals. Most of them work pretty quickly, but on a new bronze that I'm working with, the patina fluid takes about five to ten minutes of a constant soak to just age it through to a nice black. And then I normally just knock that back again quickly with a polishing wheel just to highlight it and just leave nice black detail in pieces, particularly in the basalt column weights and the cube weights. And I find it does just make such a big impact. I really like the way that that looks. As we know, like my ears aren't super big. They're around like seven sixteenths or so. And Andy actually made some smaller versions of the basalt weights, which I instantly scooped up. And I had the choice between silver and bronze. Uh, and the bronze had a patina in it. And I scooped those up. And especially because when he adds the patina, you can gives the pieces depth. So you can see darker spots and things like that. So it almost gives them like a whole entire different style. And it's just the way that he makes the jewelry. Andy, uh, do you find that there is a particular style of jewelry that your clients are asking for more than others, like a particular metal or some different stones or stone combinations? Not so much stone combinations, but a lot of people do come to me with textures and multimedia. They want something that is not flat and polished and shiny. As nice as that is and as great as that is, much as I enjoy doing things like that, textures, patinas, aging things, beating things to absolute death and bringing it back again, where I seem to have my nation, where my market seems to be leading. It's awesome. It is one of those things that I do see a lot in your work. And I really think that it's rad because that is the area that you seem to shine on. You don't want to go to a jeweler and be like, I want you to make this. Well, that's not really my style. Make it any. You know, you have clients that are coming to you that are looking for specific type designs with specific types of materials to come out with these like amazing pieces that are one of a kind that you make for them. Well, I don't believe that there's nothing to brag. Like I said, I just looked through your Instagram. I mean, I've been following you on Instagram for a while. Um, and just did a quick scan. What are some of the inspirations that you had for some of your earlier pieces? You know, some stuff that, that you would consider like your classic different design. Uh, I mean, earweights, we're talking about? Yeah. Well, earweights, you know, whatever. The earweights, originally there was, in my opinion at the time, there was a lack of really nice unisex earweights that would fit any occasion, any environment. It didn't matter if you were wearing it to work. It didn't matter if you were working, uh, wearing it to party. And I sat down with a sketchbook and I was just coming out with fairly clean, but nicely rounded, chunky and just elegant pieces in the end, which all sounds a bit of a jumble in words, but it made sense. And this ended up with the original Talak weights, which are a long, elegant, sleek piece with a fairly large sort of spiral shaped hook. And then I did the version of the Fat Talak, which was a nice, it's been described as the perfect little nugget. And, and they were they were a fun piece that just had this nice tight taper in the middle and a nice bulbous bottom and just a really, really big hook that just was just a nice piece. Unfortunately, I couldn't have any finished for this conference, but they've always been popular and well received here. 
going on from that was just looking around at what was available and is available still in the industry and thinking this is nice and this is great but it's still not quite anything that I really like I don't wear a lot of ear weights besides my own pieces and that's what ended up putting me down the line of going a little bit abstract with the cubes and the cubes again were a fun little story how I came about them I don't know if you guys have them here. Do you guys have Christmas crackers? What is it? Is that the, the popper things you pull apart? Yeah, it's like the big popper things. So, so my wife is from the middle of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and you like, I don't know, is it the same where you, you, you like cross hands, you pop them open? Yeah, that's it. And then they got like a crown and a yeah. joke and a toy? Yeah, it's okay, rad. Joking. Okay, we're talking about the same what? thing. Yeah. I have never heard about this. Oh, it's rad. It's rad. Everyone pulls them at the same time. It's great. It's I am amazing. so excited about this idea. <laughs> I've never experienced this. Um, unfortunately, the jokes are pretty bad, but everything else is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And we had some a couple of years ago in the family, and they had these wooden little puzzles in them. And for the longest time, I was looking at this one puzzle, and I must have looked like a right idiot. Christmas dinner, everyone else is having fun. I'm just staring at this puzzle, silence. There's something there. And in the end, I just kept looking at it. That could be the front of an earway. Okay, so if you sort of stretch it out a little bit, and you can make it wearable. And that's there's, there's a shape there. And I ended up starting carving it from bits of wax and bits of plastic. And I eventually ended up with what were the cube earweights, the larger version that is available. Well, that's nice. It's great. But these fit over one inch earlobes. That's pretty limited in market. So I made a smaller version using the same size cubes as well. So it ended up being quite a nice sort of same but different. Had a completely different uh, scale and ratio. I know you've talked about it a few times here. So after you go ahead and you either see some inspiration or you, I call it making a doodle, like, you know, sketching them out. What do you do next? You carve them from wax? Uh, typically not wax. Wax, I tend to use the least. I find it messy. I'm just not comfortable carving wax. I've always carved wood. I've always carved plastic. I have a background in model making. So that's never really been wax has been a comfortable medium for me. The majority of my ear weights tend to be made up of multiple pieces then assembled together, which my casting facility hates me for, but it's the only way I find comfortable to make these guys. Some of the pieces I'm now having designed in CAD from, as you say doodles on paper and notes upon notes upon notes and with you know reasonable amount of success with that range um i've had a little bit i mean i wouldn't call it attitude but there's been a little bit of the the traditionalists going oh well cad isn't the future oh it's cheating and i'm the one paying someone 90 pounds an hour for this it's sometimes going on for months if this is a shortcut bloody hell it's expensive (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't understand the whole cat thing. It it's one of those things. It is a tool. Oh, it yeah. works. It's how the machines work nowadays. I know there's variations. You can do it by hand, you can do it by do it by all these things. But like a lot of the gold jewelry that a lot of people enjoy right now is made in CAD and whether they want to admit it or not. And it makes so much sense. Whereas if I'm carving something from say if it was a wax or carving it from wood or carving it from plastic. If I make a mistake or if I do something wrong or something needs to be tweaked, I might have to start completely again after investing two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours in a piece. That's a lot of time consumed that that could be otherwise spent making paid orders. Just the thought of that gives me so much anxiety. I, I, I literally have a box back home full of bits and pieces of ear weights that are now finished and complete that just didn't make the cut you know just to be tossed aside to start again whereas with all the pieces that i've had made with with the um with the help of cad has been brilliant you know that i have a finished master at some point but i don't have multiple wastes 
you know, any tweaks that need to be made can be made on the fly on a computer. And in theory, we end up missing out on a lot of mistakes. I mean, it's not always been as easy as I'd like, and I don't think this idea of an easy route exists. There are always going to be complications, whether anybody wants to admit it and say a lot of these gold companies are doing things in CAD. And I know from speaking to traditional jewelers who are making stuff in CAD, they come into a hell of a lot of problems. You know, this idea that it's a cheat or an easy route is not there. (laughs) It seems like it's just like another medium that you can use to make your jewelry. Exactly. So I don't, I feel like it's one of those, and, and I'm not a jewelry maker in any which way, shape or, you know, form. I feel like maybe people who did it with wood said the same thing about people that did it with wax and now the people yeah. with wax are saying it about the people who use cad mm-hmm. i mean just because there's a different type of material or a different way to get to the end of the meme doesn't mean that it's any that it has any less spirit to the piece or has any less work to that piece i mean i couldn't come up with anything i mean i've had some weights made for me and i'm like i love dinosaurs can you put this head on a weight and they're like i guess i can try to figure that out <laughs> and that's usually how it goes yeah. Andy, do you want to explain a little bit more about what CAD is for some people out there who might be listening who don't really have an idea? I mean, I don't really have an idea. <laughs> but, but CAD is computer-aided design. It typically revolves around, um, I have no idea, someone who I pay a lot of money who <laughs> went to university to learn this thing to do it. Um, the advantage is is you can build a model in a, in front of you on a screen and you can look at it at every single angle in, imaginable without having to have a tangible, solid object in front of you. Its uses seem to be infinite, and it's been a, a great asset to my business, and I know to many other businesses. So for a lot of people out there that are trying to figure out what CAD is, when you typically see like a video game or you see someone making like a weird object and they are like flipping an object all around in what looks like a grid space on a computer, that's, that's basically CAD. It's just going ahead and making like that 3D model. So why don't you go ahead and just tell our listeners here what would be the best way to go about talking to you about commissioning plugs or special inlays or pieces that you have they're looking to maybe like tweak a little bit. How would they go about doing that? Uh, The best way to reach out to me, there's a really handy contact form on the website. Simply fill it out. Give me a few days to get back to you and let's talk. Let's see what we can get together. That's awesome. So I think a lot of people are kind of nervous to talk to jewelry makers and things like that, especially because they're unsure if like what they want to do can actually be done Mm -hmm. or the materials are available. Is that something they should be worried about? No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, I personally find coming from the country that I do that the vast majority of people will never, ever commission a piece of jewelry until they come to someone like me. And they could, it's a completely alien experience to them. But don't fear, you know, the worst thing we'll tell you is, no, it's just not possible. You know, if you think your idea is silly, it's probably not. If you think something's going to be impossible, I will tell you. But we'll see if we can find something that will be more feasible and will look good. I think that's a really good thing for a lot of people to take, especially even other piercers or clients or things like that. Nothing is impossible until you ask. You know, no one would have any answers if we didn't ask any questions. So make sure that you ask and see if it's something that they're able to make or able to work with. And maybe they may not be able to get to the absolute 100% thing you want to do, but they'll be able to sit down and tell you what is possible and what isn't possible. And I think what's really nice about this industry as a whole is if something isn't possible for whatever reason, whether the design is just not going to work in the size that you want or the material is not going to work in the way you want it, to work we'll tell you 
we're not going to take your money and just give you some half-assed end result and go, well, it's what you ask for, this is what you get. If it's just not going to be possible, we're just not going to make it. We're just not going to take your money. You know, that's something that has to be upheld in this industry. If we're not doing it to upset you, we're not doing it to purposely annoy people we're doing it because we you know we have a reputation and we would like to uphold that and i think that's a thing that crosses the line between body piercers and jewelry makers is that we stand and we as body piercers we stand behind absolutely everything that we do our name is attached to it you're going to see it on social media if a client has a problem with it we're going to know about it and it's the same thing with jewelry like exactly if somebody spends 50 100 to 300 dollars on a pair of plugs and you know it's not going to work you're not just going to take the money and run because you want them to have something that looks great especially because your name is attached to it as well and there was something someone told me years ago back on the old bme forums oh those were the days i know those were the days (laughs) days. (laughs) that you know you're only ever as good as your last order you're only ever as good as your last pair of plugs and that's something that does continually play over in the back of my mind if something's not quite right like we were talking about earlier with defects just suddenly appearing in the material instead of going well fuck it that will do they'll go out no they get thrown away and we'll start again until it is right absolutely if somebody isn't going to receive the best work that you can possibly give them for the money that they're giving you it's they not should, worth doing it yeah they shouldn't yeah. be receiving any work from you. this is it and i've i loathe and again i don't want to call out anyone individually because that's just stupid and petty and i'm not doing that but occasionally i've seen people go oh well i was having a bad day that's not a good enough excuse if you're having a bad day give it a rest go do something else come back to it because if it's reflecting in your work that's going to go on for longer than anything positive that you do absolutely i i can't agree with you more i mean sometimes piercers have bad days and you're not putting out work that you could sometimes good just to go home like mm-hmm. just call, call it and just be like you know what i'm not doing anyone any good today i'll be back tomorrow and sometimes it's a two-way street. Sometimes we do miss things. We are ultimately human still. And if someone is unhappy with whatever they receive, whether it's from myself or anyone else, or say even as a piercer, any questions, concerns, just come back to them and ask. We're not scary. We're not going to you know, bite your head off. We're not going to blame you for anything. We obviously want you to end up with, obviously I want to end up people, want people to end up with good quality jewellery. You piercers want to end up people who have had a good experience with a happy, well-healed and healing piercing, you know. And I honestly feel that is the biggest difference between having a good piercer and a great piercer, and it translates into the jewelry between a good jewelry maker and a great jewelry maker. So there you go, folks. I want to thank Andy Dunn and Tom Gottschalk for taking time out of their schedule to talk to me at conference. You can find Tom and his work on Instagram as Tom the Piercer with underscores between the words or at Dorje Adornments. You can contact Andy for custom work through his website, SouthshoreAdornments.com, or search for him on social media as South Shore Adornments. We will provide links for these in our show notes for this week's episode. I also wanted to thank you listeners for sending in your questions, listening, and most importantly, thank you for being the rad empowered people that you are. And as always, don't forget, you are beautiful. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. 
The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free. What's, what's the main point of this podcast? I don't know. We're just drinking rum and cokes in a Tom's, hotel room, so we'll see how it yeah, goes. Tom's trying to get drunk. Tom's getting drunk. I mean, it's half one in the morning, whatever.